There's a stress dream I've had over and over. You may have had one like this too. So I'm back in school and I discover that the big exam, the one that I thought I had months to prepare for, is tomorrow. And I am not prepared. My colleague Tony Rom says, this is kind of what lawmakers in Washington are going through right now. They thought they had a few more months to raise the debt ceiling, a very important cap on what the government can borrow. But it turns out, they might only have a few weeks. Yeah, these things have a way of sneaking up on you, don't they? On Monday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen sent an urgent message to Congress. Raise the debt limit, soon. Or the government could default on its debt. Yes, that was the word from the Treasury Department just yesterday, that this debt ceiling deadline, which we in Washington call the X date, which sounds very ominous, by the way, uh, could fall on June 1st, which is earlier than we thought it could be. uh, But still, everything is very uncertain. It could still be later. We could find out that actually lawmakers have a few weeks. But suffice to say, the Biden administration has pointed to this new updated deadline as a reason for urgency. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Tuesday, May 2nd. Today, how we got to this point with the debt limit, and what could happen next to taxpayers and the global economy if Congress does not get this figured out in time. The debt ceiling is the limit on how much money the U.S. government can borrow to pay its bills. Because, you know, the U.S. spends money on federal agencies and programs and in servicing its own debt by borrowing more money and by receiving money in the form of tax collections, among other sources of revenue. So the debt ceiling deadline is when the U.S. essentially runs out of options and it hits the limit, which at this point is $31 trillion, and no longer would be able to borrow, which would create a financial crisis. It would tip the United States probably into default, which would have great repercussions around the global financial system. So the Treasury Department put out this update and said, you know, in our estimate, based on what we're seeing in tax revenues and other developments within the government, we expect to hit that deadline as soon as June 1st. So if Congress doesn't act to either raise or suspend that roughly $31 trillion debt ceiling, the United States government is going to default. And so that then brings the question, well, what happened here to have this deadline be moved up in the first place? And that, according to the Treasury Department and outside analysts, is because of tax receipts. You know, the U.S. government, as I mentioned, takes in money from you and I and businesses and others that pay their taxes. And those tax receipts have come in lower than expected for this time of year. So if that trend continues, then the U.S. essentially has less money to play with and the debt ceiling date moves up in time. Hence the June 1st deadline that the Treasury Department outlined. And so what exactly happens if the government does not pay its creditors and and it doesn't lift the debt ceiling by this deadline? Right. Well, it's never happened. We actually have never seen in history the United States government default. But suffice to say that other examples abroad and, you know, just an analysis of what happened here the last time we have this fight suggest that it would be a fiscal doomsday. It would be probably the worst thing that could happen to the U.S. economy. The Biden administration says that the United States would probably tip into recession. We'd see millions of job losses. Um, We'd see huge hits to businesses and to families who depend on the government. You know, if the U.S. couldn't pay its bills, it means it couldn't pay its bondholders. Um, That could ultimately 
ultimately cost taxpayers in the form of um, higher interest rates on those bonds that the U.S. ultimately has to pay. Um, And federal agencies and programs could shut down because the United States government needs to borrow money in order to keep itself running properly. And tax revenues alone probably aren't enough to sustain all of the various federal agencies and programs that Washington offers. So it would be the worst case scenario for the U.S. economy for it to happen. And it's why both sides, even as they continue fighting over this thing, insist that they do not want to see a default. Yeah, I want to get more into the fight in in the negotiations in a moment, but just to learn a little bit more about what happens if the government doesn't pay its creditors. Does that mean everyone from, you know, veterans to Social Security recipients, they would not be receiving money? Potentially. We actually don't know Mm. because we've never seen a situation in which the U.S. government has defaulted. Um, There have been discussions on the Hill from time to time about how you would prioritize payments. If there are some people who would get paid first compared to others, if the U.S. would first pay bondholders or if it would pay Social Security recipients or whatnot, there are a lot of very unsettled questions about this because it has always been seen as the unthinkable doomsday. But no matter who you ask, they'll tell you that it's probably the worst case scenario for the U.S. government government, and it'd be a worst-case scenario for a U.S. economy that's already on the precipice of recession. Okay, again, back to the bad stress dream vibes. (laughs) This sounds terrible, this outcome. So what are leaders in Washington doing with this new information that they might have to figure this out by June 1st? Are they treating it as like a real deadline? They're treating it as a deadline. They're talking about it, but they're not really talking a lot to each other about it. So the last two weeks have seen a flurry of activity throughout Washington. On one side, you have House Republicans, and this is sort of where this stalemate begins. Republicans took control of the House on a promise that they were going to leverage this debt ceiling deadline to force spending cuts and other policies through a divided Congress and over the objections of President Biden. And Speaker McCarthy took action to deliver on that promise last week after the House passed legislation and puts America back on the right economic path. That we're going to limit the growth in the future. We're going to save by pulling back this unspent COVID money that would cleave billions of dollars from the federal government and roll back a number of Biden's priorities. Now, naturally, the White House and Democrats who control the Senate don't like that idea. President Biden has threatened to veto it, and Democrats maintain that we shouldn't be haggling over the debt ceiling, that this is too risky, the threat to the economy is too great, and Republicans should pass what's known as a clean debt ceiling increase, or an increase without conditions, uh, to ensure that we don't end up in that doomsday scenario of default. We are willing to have that conversation. President Biden has produced a budget. House Republicans produced a ransom note. That is what the Default on America Act is, and that is wildly irresponsible. Given this new deadline, did we hear anything new from the White House? It was only a matter of hours after, actually, that we heard that President Biden had invited House Speaker McCarthy and other congressional leaders to the White House next week for a meeting to discuss the debt ceiling on May 9th. So that's the big day everybody is watching next, to see if maybe there's something at this meeting between Speaker McCarthy and other congressional leaders at the White House that might yield a glimmer of hope about a potential compromise. But honestly, the odds don't look good right now. Yeah, just digging in a little bit more into what Republicans have demanded so far and trying to extract some kinds of concessions connected to the debt ceiling uh, conversation and debate. How much do these 
federal spending programs that Republicans want to cut actually contribute to the national debt? Because isn't that their argument at this point that the debt has ballooned and we need to, that this conversation actually is relevant? That's a complicated question, but suffice to say, there are a number of drivers of U.S. debt. Some of it uh, involves spending that the U.S. government already has has announced and, and, and enacted by both parties, whether it's the tax cuts implemented by Republicans under former President Donald Trump in 2017, or some of the more recent COVID aid packages and other legislative vehicles that President Biden has signed into law. Um, and some of the debt uh, that the U.S. has accrued is because of interest that we're paying on other debt that the U.S. has accrued, if that makes sense. So the debt comes from everywhere, and both parties are responsible for it, no matter what Republicans are saying right now as they continue to blame it on President Biden. Mm. And did they pass clean debt ceiling bills under President Trump? Yeah, we patched a bunch of clean debt ceiling bills, uh, you know, under President Trump, you know, earlier under President Biden when Democrats were running both chambers of Congress. This has been something that's been done in the past, which is why Democrats have been so angry with Republicans, because they see the whole thing as hypocritical. They point to the fact that Republicans added to the deficit and to the debt under Trump and yet didn't demand the same sorts of fiscal reforms under his administration because they liked his policies more. Yeah, Tony, not to keep going back to the stress dream analogy, but this also does feel like a bad recurring dream because we have been here before, um, you know, before the Trump years. I actually remember covering debt ceiling fights during the Obama years. What happened then? Yeah, I was too busy avoiding all of that. But yes, we had a, a <laughs> very <for> <laughs> similar a very similar and in, in many respects very damaging fight over this in 2011. The players were a little bit different. You know, instead of Speaker McCarthy, you had House Speaker John Boehner. In Washington, more spending and more debt is business as usual. Well, I've got news for Washington. Those days are over. Instead of the House Freedom Caucus, you had conservatives in what was known then as the Tea Party movement. And instead of President Biden in the White House, you had Biden as vice president. I predict to you that a lot of those new members who came here with my way or the highway, they'll either be on the highway or they'll learn that they have to have compromise. And Barack Obama running the show. So defaulting on our obligations is a reckless and irresponsible outcome to this debate. And Republican leaders say that they agree we must avoid default. But the new approach that Speaker Boehner unveiled today, which would temporarily extend the debt ceiling in exchange for spending cuts, would force us to once again face the threat of default just six months from now. In other words, it doesn't solve the problem. And what ultimately happened was that we had a series of crises over 2011 that resulted in caps on federal spending that limited the growth of federal domestic programs for about a decade in ways that outside analysts and Democrats say hurt federal health and education and labor and other research initiatives. Um, Nevertheless, just because the U.S. had that fight, the economy saw a significant number of consequences. Over the summer, largely when uh, Democrats and Republicans were going at it over the debt ceiling in 2011, the Dow Jones lost about 2,000 points. James, you see it right there, another brutal morning. The market dropped about 200 points in the first minute. You see it has not gotten much better. We saw the stock market continue to take a hit over this. At one point, 
The U.S. saw a credit ratings downgrade, which was seen then as the most unthinkable consequence of the debate. Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner this evening taking part in a conference call with other member nations of the group of seven nations, strategizing as Republicans call for his head over the downgrade. A downgrade of America certainly will be a line in the history books someday. But what does it and that ultimately cost taxpayers in the form of higher interest rates on government bonds. And the Government Accountability Office later estimated it was a roughly $1 billion hit to taxpayers. All of these things had real consequences. And remember, we didn't even default then. That was a series of consequences that stemmed just from the fact that lawmakers were having this debate and threatening to push the United States over the fiscal cliff. And so as we get back to the same kind of doom cycle here in 2023, there are early signs that investors are once again getting spooked. And I think one of the things that sort of scared lawmakers a little bit came last week when the debt evaluation organization Fitch Ratings said that they could once again lower the U.S.'s credit rating if they saw persistent dysfunction and a number of incidents that threatened the U.S. with default. It's like history is repeating itself potentially. Uh, and so that's why there's been this new panic here in Washington. After the break, we get into the negotiations and what the past can tell us about where this could be headed next. We'll be right back. So, Tony, tell me what exactly are the concessions that Republicans are trying to extract in this moment from the White House, and why are those a non-starter for Biden? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, it's about the fundamental principle that you should not be haggling over the debt ceiling. It in some ways doesn't matter what Republicans are asking. President Biden's standpoint is, we do not negotiate over this. Happy to meet with McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. That's not mm -hmm. negotiable. I noticed they quote... Now, that being said, the bill that the Republicans have put forward and that the House passed last week includes a number of items that Biden and Democrats find objectionable. You know, the cuts that we're talking about could exceed $130 billion. And Republicans have talked about extracting those savings entirely from health care and education and science and labor and research and other domestic programs while leaving the Pentagon untouched. But the White House says that that would have significant effects on federal services. And to that point, the administration actually sent a number of letters to Congress over the past couple of weeks outlining what that could look like. I mean, we're talking about hits to federally funded cancer research and less money for housing vouchers and for Pell Grants that are provided to low-income students in college and so forth. So the Biden administration has made clear that these cuts are going to have a real impact on Americans' lives if they occur. And then that's on top of the fact that the legislation includes a number of policy items. For example, it would impose work requirements on the recipients of Medicaid and SNAP, or food stamps, to low-income programs. You know, For the first time, Americans who receive Medicaid, which is health insurance, would have to work a number of hours over the course of a month or they could lose their benefits. And that's the kind of stuff that the White House and Democrats just see as a non-starter right now. Yeah, and also at the same time, we both know there's nothing like a deadline to get Washington to do something. But is there a real fear this time that they won't be able to do this? Because 
they're pretty far apart right now, it looks like. The House has passed this bill. Kevin McCarthy in the House, he has a very slim Republican majority. Doesn't seem like he wants to move from his position. And from what you're saying, Biden thinks the debt ceiling should be off limits as a negotiating chip. Yeah, I mean, I think your analogy about the night before stressing out about the exam you didn't know was coming, it's sort of a, it's really an apt one here because there is a camp that is extremely worried that we're going to go over the cliff and default. And then there's a camp that really truly believes that everything in Washington is solved at the 11th hour and that they can just cram their way through the problem. And so that's why you're starting to see things begin to pick up here in the nation's capital. It's why President Biden is inviting congressional leaders to the White House next week, because, you know, here we are. It could be as soon as four weeks that we're talking about that 11th hour deadline. And so lawmakers in the White House are beginning to discuss and sort of embrace what that really means. Yeah, it is kind of wild to think about how sometimes our nation is run based on a deadline. <laughs> like, like it's how how far thought out can things be? And it's like the deadline is the thing that forces movement. But I guess just more existentially in your position and what you cover, what does this fight over the debt ceiling and the negotiations taking place, what does it tell you about how the United States government deals with its debt and thinks about its financial health? I think it tells us something a little bit different, and it's that in a time of divided government, even significant threats of emergency and, and, and fiscal doomsday still aren't enough on their own to get Democrats and Republicans to talk to each other in a meaningful way. Um, and even beyond that, it sort of lays the groundwork for what could be a series of equally problematic fights in the months to come. You know, we've been so consumed with the debt ceiling that we've forgotten that there are actually other very significant deadlines uh, looming in the distance. You know, we have to fund the government, for example, by the end of September. Otherwise, we could face a government shutdown. And the same forces that you're seeing now that threaten the U.S. with a default and could unleash untold havoc in the economy could potentially do so once again at the end of September uh, if the government shuts down and we have federal workers not getting paid and the government not providing services to the American people. Um, we have other deadlines about you know programs that help fund uh, you know farm subsidies and and, and help. America's agriculture producers, uh, you know, continue to produce and nutrition programs for low-income Americans. We have deadlines around defense. We have needs to potentially provide more money to Ukraine and so forth. All of these fights are going to carry the same political undertones and the same sort of partisan bickering. And so while the debt ceiling might be the big one because of the threats to the economy, these other skirmishes look like they're going to be equally difficult to resolve because of the same political tensions between the two parties. Well, thank you, Tony, for joining us. Even though your days may be stressful, I hope you have peaceful dreams. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be stressing about the, the, the night before exam, too. <laughs> Tony Rahm covers congressional economic policy for The Post. On Tuesday afternoon, we learned that House Democrats are starting a long-shot process that could allow them to bypass Republican leaders and raise the debt limit without them. For the latest on debt ceiling negotiations, follow The Washington Post. You can visit WashingtonPost.com and please consider subscribing. It's a great way to support all the work we do here at the podcast and in covering Congress. That's WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Maggie Penman. Special thanks to Gabe O'Connor. I'm Elahe Izadi. 
We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.